Hi, welcome to Chatting to a Friend. I'm Katie Friend and in this podcast I'm chatting to incredible women about their life experiences and adventures as well as their thoughts on friendship, community, self-care, setting boundaries and how they keep healthy, happy and sane. Today's podcast is a little different from some of the others that I've done. Janet Whitelaw-Jones and Lynn Borsbury, they're not medal-winning, MBE-holding, Guinness World Record holders. They haven't climbed mountains, nor have they sailed the seven seas, but they are both extraordinary women. They're friends of mine who, by the way, didn't know each other um, before this call and who have both experienced baby loss. I'm so grateful to them for publicly sharing their stories. It's something that is so extraordinarily difficult to talk about for many people, but it's so important for the health and well-being of grieving parents. There's so much in this conversation that I learned from, and I think what I love the most, and I mention it at the end, is that they're both so positive, regardless of the life-changing, gut-wrenching experience that they've both had. If you can, listen please do because it's really important and reach out to anyone you know who is experiencing this or who has experienced it and talk to them don't ignore them don't make it about you just show love and kindness and empathy thanks for listening hi lynn hi janet thank you so much for joining me today hi 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 um first of all i'd like to say how sorry i am that this has been this is a part of your lives um, because it's you're both people I've known for some time and I just would like to say that again how sorry I am thank you thank you Lynn I think maybe we'll start with you uh, maybe could we hear your story please yes certainly so we Tom and I met um well, I won't go into that because there's a whole rock star story you don't need to hear there. But um, <laughs> we we kind of met and got together rel- relatively late in life, I suppose. Kind of, I was um, it was around my thirtieth birthday, I think, that we kind of officially got it on, um, and everything was really cool. We got married as you do, and you kind of expect everything to be happily ever after. And it was maybe a year into our marriage that we realized that everybody else um, that we knew had just, you know, fallen pregnant very quickly and had a family and were starting to have babies, etc. And um, kind of nothing had happened with us. And, you know, at first, I wasn't that worried about it. But then it kind of became something that obviously, quite quickly was like, mm, maybe I'm not getting any younger, we should look into this. And then we kind of joined the IVF train because that is unfortunately the first thing that um, that they do in the NHS is say, right, okay, well we're just going to put you on this juggernaut and um, and you and you start off. Not to say that I'm not grateful that I, you know, that that's an option because obviously mm. for, for very many people that's not an option. So you know, it's a double-edged sword. Anyway, uh, poked and prodded and all sorts of fun things later we. Um, actually fell pregnant and on on a really our first try of the proper IVF which was amazing so we were really excited about that and we're preparing for um to be a family and um I had a really uneventful perfectly fine pregnancy um in fact I was overdue uh when I went into labor by five days and um it wasn't until that we got to the hospital after you know a night of laboring at home that um we were told the news that we had no heartbeat um, for the baby. 
um, at that point, you kind of expect there to be sirens and, you know, someone doing something. But of course, there's nothing they can do. So um, we had the choice to have a C-section or a natural birth and we went for a natural birth. So uh, our son was born, thankfully, two hours later. So he was kind to me in that respect. And um, yeah, and that and that's it. Uh, since mm-hmm. then, that was in November 2016. And since then, we've not. Uh, it took us a long, long time to want to try IVF again. Um, we did try again because we actually had a frozen embryo from the from the first round, and unfortunately, that failed. So we're now in a situation where we don't have any children. We're very happily married, thankfully, still, even after everything we've been through. But we're kind of now facing a scenario where we think it's probably unlikely that that we'll have the family that we so hoped for so um so yeah that's my sad tale of woe there's lots of good things in my life too but um yeah you did ask me to tell you so no absolutely and 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 your little boy was called pip is that right yeah we called him pip because um they ask you in the hospital to to name the you know name your baby and we did we had lots of ideas for names but we didn't know I kind of didn't feel like I wanted to give him any of the names that we'd come up with. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really know why, because obviously at that point in time, I was uh, in a state of shock and all sorts of things, and uh, you know, in a, not not necessarily in my right mind. But um, we'd always called the bump Pip because we didn't actually know whether it was a girl or a boy, so we mm-hmm. went, we went for Pip because it was you know sort of non-gender specific. And so it just kind of felt right that having never really properly met him, that that was what we'd always called him when we when we knew him alive, um, you know, to be kicking and squirming and all those good things. So, so yeah, that's why he ended up as Pip, really. I love the name Pip. That's great. <laughs> he was a gorgeous boy, I have to say, eight pounds too, and he was oh. he was a stunner. Oh. And he yeah. didn't have his dad's feet, which was which was one. Of he didn't things. what? Sorry, he didn't have his dad's feet, which was my. <laughs> Did he, did he have hair then? Yeah, loads, really dark. Yeah, loads of oh, really dark hair. And, and did he look like his dad? Because they always say that, you know, babies look <laughs> like their dads. <laughs> you know what? I, th- I think he probably had more of my look about him. The, uh, one thing that's actually I'm kind of struggling with right now, funnily enough, because it's coming up to his birthday at the end of this month. And um, we've got photos, which we were really, really lucky to have. We had the most incredible service mm. ever at the Rosie and Adam Brooks and um, a, f- a photographer who gives her time, you know, for free actually goes mm. and takes photographs of people. And we have mm. got them, but I've never looked at them because I've, mm. even after nearly four years, I've not been able to bring myself and bring myself to do it. And I, I think it might be time soon. So, mm. so yeah, as I remember him, he was, he was really beautiful. So clearly took after me. <laughs> <laughs> clearly, clearly. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, how lovely. Um, well, I'm going to come on to how you um, celebrate or, or think about your babies on their birthdays. But first of all, um, Janet, can we hear your story? Sure, sure. So my story, um, I uh, was, Kenny, well, Kenny and I had been married already for about three years. So I was 28. And differently to Lynn, I seem to have no problem getting pregnant. Um, but my problem seems to have been holding on to them, but 
unusually past the 12 weeks period that everybody sort of worries about. So the first 12 weeks were always very uneventful, there was no problem. And then, uh, and when, as soon as I hit uh, second trimester, that's when the problems started. And so uh, with our first baby, uh, he, um, we, I lost all the fluid at about 20 weeks. Um, and so that is a very crucial time for a baby's lung development to happen. Um, and so I was in and out of hospital at the time we lived in Brussels in Belgium. Um, but we'd also been traveling because it was over Christmas time and we had been in Northern Ireland visiting my family and then we'd been in Scotland visiting Kenny's family and then we were going back. And when I was in the hospital in um, in Edinburgh, actually, um, because I'd lost a lot of sort of blood-like fluid, um, then there was, uh, I think they said, basically, you're just going to have a miscarriage while you go home. And I thought, okay, right, it was some shocking news. Um, and and I had no concept of what was going to happen because I was already, I think by that time I was already 18 or 19 weeks. And I remember sitting in the with the, the with the doctor going, Well, well, what do you mean? Like how does that because I know what stage the baby's at, I know it's a fully formed looking baby. How does it come out? Like how what? <laughs> Do I have to actually give yeah. birth to this baby? It was so, it was, I had never, ever considered this before. So he said, yes, you just give birth to it. Um, and I said, right. So then we had to decide whether it was all right for me to fly back. Anyway, we chose to fly back to Belgium. Um, and then, and then the fluid seemed to come back. So I would have these weekly scans, but then uh, at about 22 weeks, I mean, it was pretty horror, horror story stuff. It was there was a lot of blood involved, and it looked like something drastic had happened. Um, and I woke up in, in one morning, and obviously all the fluid had gone again. Um, mm. And so I ended up back in hospital. And then um, he, our little boy, who we called him Joshua, he was born um, at twenty five weeks, and he actually lived for about four hours after he was born. When they tried to figure out sort of what state he was in. He was tiny. Um, he was just sort of two pounds, oh, 2.2, I think. Um, and he, it, it, it became pretty obvious after about three hours that he just wasn't going to make it because his lung development hadn't, uh, just, it, his lungs just weren't developed enough. And mm-hmm. so um, we were in this really amazing hospital, actually in, uh, in a town called Leuven, in just outside Brussels, where they spoke Flemish, so actually they a lot of the consultants spoke English, which was really amazing. Um, and yeah, so he, I mean, we basically did a scan of his lungs. It was clear that life he wasn't, that he just wasn't going to survive. Um, and we were with him in the, in the baby kind of ICU, um, and actually then. They, they just took him out of his incubator and we held him while he died. And it was one of the most painful experiences, but at the same time, very calm because it was in the middle mm-hmm. of the night. It was in the middle of the night. There's nobody else around. So actually it was, I think as far as experiences go, it didn't feel hugely traumatic at that time, but it felt peaceful, which is, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's how I feel about it. Um, so yeah, that's what happened. And that was in March in 2001. Um, so yeah, that was Joshua. He called him Joshua Connor. 
And I remember very clearly because we were we were all so young. And, you know, I wasn't even Mm. I hadn't even met my husband then. And, Mm. you know, it was so shocking and painful for Mm. you and for us being so far away and Mm. not really knowing what to do. And I Mm. but I have to say, Janet, I have you, Josh, you and Joshua actually taught me something that I've carried. Yeah, that I have carried with me ever since because (laughs) you told me that it was so important that people talked about it that mm. called him by his name mm. that asked you about it mm. and yeah. you know I think that's something that people really struggle with yeah when when ha- trying to help and support yeah for me yes definitely so because I think it was 2001 and and it felt like the internet had hadn't really taken off yet so I mean there was a bit there, there were some sort of internet support groups um but there wasn't I mean there was nothing like there was not I used to actually mm. trying to find some help was actually really difficult um and and I I think I'm not sure what it was like for you Lynn but I just needed to talk about what had happened it's probably like any traumatic experience you just it goes on and on and on in your head you, you live it every single minute of every single Absolutely. day so somebody bringing up the fact that your baby's just died isn't going to upset you. It actually is just a really helpful, it's a really helpful um, place to, to allow you to talk about it. And so, um, and so I remember, I remember after there was about a week between when he was born and then we had his funeral a week later. And in that week, I remember going to the hairdressers to get my hair cut. And I remember sitting there thinking, this is massive what has just happened to me is massive and I don't know how to tell her that I why I feel so awful because I'm I don't feel like a mother because I don't have a baby with me and yet I am a mother but my baby has just died and I didn't also there was a part of me at that point because you go through these different stages there was a part of me at that point that didn't want to upset anyone else by telling her what had happened um and that changed actually later on but um uh, but yeah it was it was all very I, I think probably what would have been helpful would have been having some somebody to sort of sit and talk you through that these steps were all normal and that happened later but just not at that point but definitely saying his name and knowing that when you ask somebody about this actually do you know what you're not going to upset them because they're, they're going to be thinking about their baby anyway mm-hmm. yeah. I actually felt quite ashamed you know mm-hmm. I think that was my first I think my first reaction I mean, I did some very kind of strange things in the, not strange, but I kind of went into practical mode, I think, um, mm. quite quickly, like literally the kind of the day we came home from hospital. And I was very aware that my neighbours, who had been very sweet through my pregnancy, had seen, you know, would have noticed that the car would have been gone and would have been expecting us to come home with a baby. Mm. And so I was absolutely terrified. And I, and I remember mm. writing a card um, to tell them what had happened because... I couldn't obviously I didn't want to face them but I couldn't bear the Mm. thought that they were going to be sat at home expecting to hear a baby crying through the walls or Mm. you know to see us out and about and and so I I had to do it that night because Mm. I just needed them to know so that they wouldn't come calling but I was we were kind of we felt like we had to crawl around for the first few days like Mm. we just couldn't bear to see anyone and Mm. yeah it was almost like shame it was really weird yeah that's really difficult and Lynn, you, I remember you saying, and it's something that Janet's just said, that 
you know, you're not wanting to make people feel bad, but also not feeling like it's your job to make them feel better. Yeah, that's a really tough one. I think that was a huge one for me because I've always been, as I'm sure we all are, very empathetic people. And, um, you know, my, my one of my biggest things at first was that I just could not, like it was the first time in my life that I absolutely could not deal with other people's grief, like mm. in the same way that I would have done previously because I was, you know, so full of my own grief that I found it really difficult and that's not to say that people who came and just cried with us weren't very welcome they were but there Mm. were some people who you know who found it kind of wanted to make it almost their problem Mm. (laughs) and like (laughs) wanted us to feel sorry for them because they were (sighs) so upset and those Mm. those are people who are no longer in my life I mean that you know that's another Mm. sad um sad thing with Mm. the scenarios that you do you do lose some people through it but, you know, perhaps they weren't quite meant to be there in the first place. Who knows? But, yeah, it's an interesting one. Did you find that, Janet, that you had people that just drifted out your life? Um, I think, um, I think. well, from my perspective, I think I um, probably went and hung on to people who were happy to talk to me about Joshua, mm. actually, was what happens. It was I kind of <laughs> probably stalked them. I probably went to look because there because there wasn't a safe place. There was no group, right? There was no mm-hmm. um, there was nothing local to where I was that mm-hmm. was set up, and so I had no uh, there was nowhere to talk about it, and I didn't quite realize how much I needed to talk about it um, mm-hmm. because it was because it's a traumatic experience, and that's what you do. You're through your brain does, um, and so I think I probably stalked. Not stop, that's the wrong word. There were people <laughs> there were people who would welcome me and ha- we'd have a cup of tea and we'd just sit and chat and they would listen and that was really helpful. And um, so I almost think that there were some friendships that really got super strong during that point. Yeah. Um, and there were definitely others that that were that that probably for a while I stepped away from just because I couldn't I think that's much because they didn't know how to behave, actually. Mm. Um, and and it, yeah, it was. I mean, it was a tricky time. Um, and 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 there's nobody to blame, mm. which I don't know. I find that interesting. So there's nobody to blame for the fact that your baby has died. Like it wasn't the doctor's fault. It wasn't you know. It wasn't my fault. It wasn't any. It wasn't Kenny's fault. It was just something that happened, um, and actually, and so and so then I I almost got to a place where you start to look at how friends are reacting and then blaming them for the reaction, and that wasn't very healthy. But mm. but then later on in my experience, I ended up we ended up moving actually back from um, Brussels to London, um, and uh, and I found a group there called it was the sands the still birth and neonatal death society and they were amazing actually i really needed them um they were brilliant super helpful and they had these kind of different groups set up with people who'd experienced very similar things usually it's different circumstances but everyone had lost a baby um and at some stage um and actually it was really helpful uh, and just to know, as soon as I arrived in London, that's where I went first. And actually, it was brilliant. I really, I really enjoyed the raw is the wrong word, but it's a place where 
you just could feel connected with people. So I think for me, there was a real point in time afterwards. Uh, there's there's like maybe your friends or people who have not experienced this can sort of, I felt they could cope with the story for about three or four months. And mm. then and then they just are going, right, well, when, you know, when are you going to move on from this? When actually... Mm. It's, it's very difficult to move on so quickly. And this is not something, something I've learned is that this is not something that you move on from. Rather, it sits in you and your life grows around it. And yeah. it can become very, it just becomes part of who you are and part of what's part of our family story. And so actually having an outlet and having a group that you can go to where you talk specifically about your baby was really useful for me. Lynn, because you've had some excellent support from Petals, I understand. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So I was, um, like I say, I, we were so lucky. I mean, you know, Adam Brooks is my local hospital in Cambridge and they actually have a fantastic um, facility there at the Rosie, which is their, their maternity hospital. Um, mm. And Petals was actually set up by somebody who used to work at the Rosie. Um, and then I think funding was cut for her as a counsellor. So she set up her own mm. Um a charity called Petals, which is Pregnancy Expectations, Trauma and Lost Society. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, similar to Sands, but mm-hmm. sort of on a local level at that stage, mm-hmm. it was uh, when it first set up. Mm-hmm. And um, we had bereavement midwives that dealt with us actually in the hospital, and they were incredible. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, we also had photographers, people who took, you know, mm-hmm. um, handprints and footprints mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. incredible things. Mm-hmm. And then they also... Uh, referred us to to Petals and Petals is an incredible charity that that does uh, mm. counselling for you know couples or families or whoever needs it really um, around this subject. So yeah, it was an absolute lifesaver for us, and I still you know I'm I'm quite involved with them now. Mm. And Lynn, I think I I read something you wrote for Petals that your counsellor that you spoke to helped you both understand that you were not grieving the same because you sort of think of this as happening either to a mum who had carried the baby or to a couple but you know it must be helpful to have someone understand that dad is grieving but in a very different way because you're obviously two different people hugely and it's it's huge it's changed Tom and I's relationship beyond measure because of a million things but he really I mean he was just exceptionally brilliant mm. and I get quite mm. emotional when I think about mm. it but he was so supportive and has helped me um through everything but I think yeah his grief was very different from mine I I had a lot of um I felt like I'd let people down I felt responsible um you know I had some real kind of things with like what had I done should I have done things differently should I have known there was something wrong you know all of those things Mm -hmm. and I still now even now because we haven't gone on to have children um Mm -hmm. feel like I've let you know my my parents down I mean we lost my dad last year or two years ago now um but you know you feel that you that there's something that you should have been able to give people who love you and and you couldn't and obviously they wouldn't they didn't even meet Pip and all those things mm-hmm. um but Petals or talking about it in that in that capacity was was huge and something else I think I mentioned to you and similar to what Janet was saying was you know something that's just happened to you which is utterly 
life changing, not just pregnancy, birth, or, or miscarriage, um, but either, you know the death of your the, the death of your child, the death of um, hope. You know, for me, it was really the first thing because I've, I've been very lucky in my life to really have affected me deeply in that mm-hmm. capacity. And I I felt like you know my whole life had changed, my whole outlook. Um, I'd spent nine months preparing to be a mother and, and now I wasn't one. You know, we had a house full of, we had a nursery set up. We had, you know, the house was prepared to bring home a child and everything changed in that in that time. And if you can't talk about it with people, um, I mean, particularly, obviously, a professional counsellor, then I think you just go completely mad, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Um, because, yeah. you know, it's like, mm. it's just such an enormous it's enormous it's like it totally changes you every fiber of your being from the person you were before to the Mm. person that you are after and in so many ways in my case I I like to think that it's actually been a real positive Mm. um it has you know taught me an enormous amount um but I'm definitely not the same person as that I was and there's no there's no getting away from that (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's totally true that's totally true and how do you feel that it has changed you for the positive, Lynn? That's an interesting thing to hear. Oh, my goodness. Well, it's taught me, I think it's taught me, you know, that adversity is something that you will have to face at some point in your life. That death is is something that we, you know, is going to happen to all of us, frankly. And um, that you're going to be okay, like, I a little bit like Janet you know I really struggled even in 2016 to find anything positive out there that um, you know lots of people do a lot of sort of shouting into the abyss on blogs and things like that and and (laughs) there's you know that's kind of really what I found personally found it just very upsetting because whilst it was good to know that I wasn't the only person who'd been through something similar or baby loss in, in you know this was kind of early days before I'd even found petals um there was nothing out there that said to me, you know what, you're gonna, you're gonna survive this, you're gonna move past this. And like you say, Janet, it's not that we've forgotten about PIP or that we're mm-hmm. over it. It's just part of our lives. But you know what, it's kind of okay. And I think having that strength, having that being totally rocked to the core of your being, and then coming back from that, through counselling, through the love of your family, through hard work I mean it has been hard work on my part mm. um and I'm not, not going to lie you know yoga meditation health healthy eating just a, like totally different lifestyle choices and mm. and a level of spirituality that I think I had always had but probably hadn't really explored um I think all of those things have helped me to just have a di- totally different outlook on life and I think that's probably pretty positive um Mm -hmm. because otherwise I I wouldn't have known to appreciate the people that are around me appreciate my husband as much you know our our dog has brought (laughs) us you know so much joy just those little things that um that I think it's brought me a a total different gratitude and an appreciation for that I, I may not have had otherwise Janet, do you have any similar thoughts on? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, very similar to you. I mean, it had, a, it had such a massive, I was thinking about this actually uh, a couple of months ago. It had, 
it had a, such a massive effect, I think, on our on our life choices. So Kenny and I were living in Brussels. We both worked for, um, well, I was working for uh, an international development agency. I work in um, in development aid, and so in my mind, our plan was be in Brussels, have a baby, go back out, work somewhere, probably somewhere in East Africa or back in West Africa where I'd been before. And this completely changed our life plans because I could no longer trust myself about how about how I was going to carry a baby. And in actual fact, I was I was right. So that's what was driving our move back to the UK because I didn't I wanted to be back in a, in the UK health system um, because I wanted to understand exactly what was going to happen the next time and how it was going to work and what uh, would I be under which type of care and for whatever reason I told myself a story that I couldn't do that in Brussels Um, I probably could have but at the time we decided to move back and so it massively affected our life choice of where we were going to live and what we were going to do Um, Mm. and so uh, and so that was all really rather painful actually Um, but, 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 um, the good things I think that came from it was just understanding, I think, yes, what Lynn has said, you know, that we, you, you will get through this to, to, to some kind of other place where you live with this, with this loss and that that's possible. Although at the time when it happened, if somebody had said that to me, honestly, maybe you want to punch them. Oh, completely, yeah, yeah. Because I didn't want to hear that. Like, I was like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I don't want to hear that right now. I, I just want to sit in my terrible sadness. But you have to do that. You have to you do that. You do, exactly. Um, and I think that's where Sam's for me really helped because they had a next pregnancy support group as well. So, and in actual fact, so this, we, we still don't really know why this happened, but although we I have gone on and I now have four children, um, every single one of them, has had we've had a similar experience so the next one was I we had a boy and he was born at 30 weeks but I had the same problems Mm. um and then with my first daughter it was the same so my I always find through the first 12 weeks the second trimester it was a bit dodgy and then it was whether or not we'd get to sort of past 24 weeks there was always a magic number so it was incredibly stressful um, terrifying each, I can imagine yeah well it was terrifying actually but I think kind of trying just that like knowing that you can you can get through this um, and knowing that you I think I got to a point where I realized that I had two choices either um I could do the work and try and get through this or I could just take myself off planet earth that those were the two choices mm. Um, and I didn't really want to remove myself from planet Earth. I just didn't want to feel the pain. But I realised that if you want to get through it, then you have to just sit with that yeah. enormous amount of pain for a while. You do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, even though... So Joshua would be 20 next March, wow. which is unreal when I think about it. Um, and even though that's... I kind of think, my goodness... That's incredible. But, you know, and there's days when, I mean, there could be weeks when I don't think about him at all, but there's always a wee tingle. So there are things that make me think about him. White tulips, because whenever we were in, in March in in, um, in Brussels, there were tulips everywhere because it was springtime. 
And I, for me, that was a real symbol of hope that I could get through this. Um, and the days were getting lighter and things like that. And also white butterflies, for some reason, where we live now, there's always these lovely white butterflies. And I, I just always think, well, you know, there you go. There's hope. <laughs> That's really lovely. I was um, I was quite disappointed, actually, because I remember Tom saying to me quite early on, you know, you do know that this isn't an excuse for you to become an alcoholic or a drug addict, right? And I was like, <laughs> damn, oh, damn, if ever there was a time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't know. Chocolate, chocolate and gin. That was something that we, yeah. But I, yeah. I like you. I, there are certain things. I mean, we, we were in November and... Mm ironically it's actually really beautiful now at the moment but um it was the 20 it's the 22nd is his birthday and uh mm. it was it was crappy time of year and as much as well i say that it was yeah obviously very dark and winter and all those mm. things um but in some ways it was kind of helpful because it meant that we could just cocoon and and hide from everybody but i do remember going out on a you know a really nice crisp cold day with sort of autumn mm. leaves and um and all that and sunshine and feeling like you you know those little tiny symbols of hope in that really dark time mm. whenever I see a day like that or there's a day like that I, I do often think of it and also we because we had a series of of grief in that period so we lost um we lost Pip on the 22nd of November we then lost our puppy mm. at 18 months four months to the day on the on the 22nd of March and then my father passed away not not too long after mm. um so we actually picked Orion's belt because of the three stars in Orion's belt. So this time of year, it's right kind of above our house. And um, on a clear night, it's actually really nice because you kind of look up and you think about all three of them, which is mm. always for this week. Lovely. Oh, lovely. Mm. And we touched on it earlier, you know, um, Lynn, you said Pip's birthday is coming up. Yeah. Um, what do you do? What have you done to celebrate or to mark the occasion do you know what we never really have and it's always made me feel a tiny twinge of guilt that I've that I've not been that way inclined to we've we've marked it we've marked it privately Mm -hmm. you know between ourselves but with no great gesture or or anything in fact for the first couple of years we went off to a health spa for the day um nice just to hide which was very nice because there's you know Exactly. Um, Given the opportunity to run away, if you're going to run away anyway, you may as well run away to where they're going to give you a massive. Right? <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> we were this year for the first time actually going to have a little sort of birthday gathering um, with grandparents and everybody, but obviously to, mm. we can't do that, which is a real shame because I think it's only really this year that it's come to light that um, Tom's mum could really. Uh, would really appreciate a bit more of that, mm-hmm. you know, um, mm-hmm. that element. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were we were very happy to do it this year. And now we can't. So, I think it's one of those things we just haven't really held on to it. I do know, you know, that there are people who feel that they need to visit um, the grave, and, and there are things, you know, some people mm-hmm. are daily, um, which I find, you know, really really hard going. But mm-hmm. it's just not something that I felt like I needed to do because he's with us all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't really feel like I need to go somewhere to to remember him. I suppose it's more just a it's just a day where we look back and say how far we've come. Mm. Like mm. it's just a, a whole world away from rebuilding 
every little piece of our lives from that day. Um, it's just incredible. It's been an incredible journey, really. Mm. And I'm very proud of us for that. As you should be. As you definitely you. should be. And Janet, how do you, and how do you, as well as that, just a, a, how do you, have you always in, included him in your children's mm. lives? Yeah, so that was, a, I mean, that was a good sort of conversation whenever they were quite young, because um, we were really keen to, we were really keen that, that, that they didn't all of a sudden, age 15, find out they had an older brother. Mm. Um, so, but it's also quite a tricky thing to introduce the idea of you had a you had a brother but he died. Well, actually, it is. It's, we had a really good book called I can't remember the name of it. Um, I can't remember. Anyway, it was really helpful, and we used to read that with my older two, who are now sort of seventeen and sixteen. And and in fact, we didn't really need to tell the two younger ones because the older two then sort of carried it on. Um, because it was already something that they knew, so then it was very much part of the family conversation. So his Josh's birthday is on the third of March, and because we lived in Brussels, and I remember we went to the, uh, and we had no idea. I was like, how does death work in Belgium? I have no clue. Like, how does they mm. do? What happens? You know, and um, and we had a uh, we had a, a sort of a small service in the actually just in the uh, the chapel in the hospital because that's where I'd gone quite a lot of days just because it was really quiet and I could sit in there and you could like candles and I really liked that um and plus the, cha- the chaplain was lovely she was female she was great um and so we had a little service there and then we actually decided to have his little body cremated and so we took his ashes back to my parents house in Northern Ireland and they live right opposite the sea because we didn't know where we were going to live mm. and when we went to see the graveyard in Belgium we were both going this will be nearly got locked in which was funny um but it was just it was just I just hated it it was mm. horrible and I could all I could think of was in 15 years time I'm gonna have to come here and tend some grave and I don't want to do that I just can't oh I just couldn't so we ended up, we decided to scatter his ashes in the sea. Um, and then for me, that means that it doesn't really matter where we live as long as I find some body of water, um, which we will always find. And it's been different every time. Um, as long as we find some body of water on his birthday, either to swim in it or we put, um, the kids will take the petals off the tulips and we put that in the water. Um, and we just remember that way. Oh, how lovely. Um, so as long as there's water, we have a, where we live now, we live in the, in the countryside and there's a, there's a lovely stream just down the bottom of one of the fields and actually we just, some years later, that's all we've done. We've just taken um, the paddles down there and put them in the river um, and it's been lovely actually. So I, for me, that really works just because it's quite expansive and it can be anywhere as long as there's water which is most of the world because I had a panic attack about whether or not what happens if we live in a landlocked country <laughs> any, any body of water works yeah, good good <laughs> um and I, yeah so so as far as bringing it into the kids lives um we just talk we just were very factual actually with them initially um but I do remember one birthday whenever my or Ethan who's three or no he's not three but when he was about three and he he couldn't, he was, he was like, are we going to meet Joshua? Where is he? Uh, well, where is he? And does he need a cake? Would he eat the cake? And he was so, he, he was just at an age where he, he, he was really confused what was going on. Mm. 
but actually um, the other guys were really good at helping them sort of understand what was happening because it's not an easy concept to understand. Really. No. And Lynn, you and I had a chat a few weeks ago uh, in lead up to this because, as you mentioned earlier, the sort of extra part of this is that you Pip was an IVF baby and that mm. you were potentially facing life without children, which is what you had both mm. hoped for. Yeah. And that makes for a very different situation. But you said something to me that really, um, really shocked me, actually, that that you said that o- often or sometimes women with children are a little unkind or odd about that sort of situation. Yeah, I think it's a it's a really difficult one. The the problem is that I could I could talk about this for a long time, but um, it's the norm, right? The norm is that you, as a married woman, or even even any, it's just the norm. We all we all grow up with that fairy tale mm. of you're going to get married, you're going to have children, mm. and um, if that doesn't happen, it's you're kind of potentially seen as a little bit strange. And the, the issue that that I often have. Um, is that I, I feel quite excluded from a lot of conversation. So mm. it's it's either by somebody saying to me, you know, do you, for one of the first questions women ask each other, I think, if you've never met before, is do you have mm. children? Mm. And so the answer to that, obviously, is quite complex from in my scenario. And depending on the circumstances, I I have become much more honest now, but obviously it's not really appropriate in certain places to say yes, but. Um, So I kind of end up up having to say no. And then often what happens is that I'm just then excluded from a group of conversation that that the women continue to have about their own families and about their Mm. own children, which is which is hard because it's quite upsetting for me. And it's also Mm. just makes you feel quite excluded. I don't mm. think it's um, anyone's fault. I think it's, you know, I, I'm not suggesting for a moment that people are, are being intentionally unkind. Mm. I think it is just societally the way that people behave with each other. It's a small talk mm. thing. You know, it's like when you're trying to get pregnant in the first place, people constantly ask you, don't they? Or, mm. you know, as when you first get married, when are you going to have yeah. a family? Mm. It's like, it's actually kind of not an appropriate question, really. But societally, mm. we haven't sort of got there no. yet to, to sort of understand that perhaps if you don't actually if you can't handle the answer to that question honestly then you really mm-hmm. shouldn't ask it in the first place mm-hmm. yeah. um but yeah so it's an interesting one I I mean having said that you know we've, we've come through this period of grief with um with losing Pip and everything and that that's made me feel slightly less scared of grief going forward um the grief of, of not having a family is something that is kind of, I think, looming potentially on the horizon. And that's another challenge that we'll have to face. But, yeah, it's something that I think, you know, it would be nice if we were just all kinder to each other about, really. Often, I mean, there's so many examples. People say things all the time. Um, I think there was a one of the... When Theresa May was going for prime minister, I can't remember the, who wrote Was it Andrea Ledson? Yes, Someone yes. said, oh, as a mother... <sighs> It was like there was just always this implication that if you're not a mother, you yeah. either don't have as much empathy as somebody who is a mother, etc., etc. And of course, in my scenario, 
I have been a mother. Mm. I was, mm. you know, I, I have given birth. I have been through those things. Mm. But just the fact that we even have any element of judgmental behavior towards anybody in, in whatever circumstance, you know, it's just, it's mm. something that I hope that we can, if we talk more about these things and are more open with each other, that we can, you know, stop people from feeling that they're being judged in, in any capacity because mm. it's it's not nice. No, it's not. And <laughs> no. it's something, it's an element of this that I can relate to because both my children are IVF babies yeah. and I have never once asked anybody since I had to go through IVF mm. when they're going to have kids yeah. are they thinking of having another one mm. you know you just don't because I was asked mm. the most insane insensitive questions yeah that mm. I, I now believe in hindsight that people just open their mouths and say really stupid stupid stuff yeah. and they don't mean it no of course but not good god some of the closest people to me said mm. some of the stupidest most hurtful things I've mm. ever heard and at the time you know you're wild on hormones and you know desperate for it to work and you don't really give them the benefit of the doubt but I, I that I do understand and it's something that mm. I've learned um I just wanted to touch on something Lynn that you said about when people ask you and you decide whether to say yes but or mm. you say no mm. when do you still say no and if you do do you ever have how does that make you feel does it make you feel guilty or like you're denying yeah. a part of yourself it's it's really tough I mean it just it's just so dependent on the circumstances because obviously it's not a conversation that you can easily start mm. in a bar or in yeah. a in a client meeting or mm. you know there's a million scenarios where yeah. I kind of feel like I have to say no mm. because I can't say yes because I can't continue the conversation yeah and so I have to say no because otherwise it's just too complex so um mm. I've learnt I, I I know what you mean. Like I can totally see what you're saying, and and yes, I, I suppose there is an element of of denial in that. But I think I've, to be honest, just come to know that it's just better for me um, mm -hmm. to to give that answer and not to feel guilty about it because I know, and like anything, you know, like anything, you, you kind of you kind of realise. I think probably as you get older that you don't need to share everything with everyone. Yeah. Um, because often they're the, they're likely to be the wrong people anyway. If I had, you know, are you kind of getting instinct for it? I think you do. And I have I have said yes in <laughs> in anger sometimes in a mm. kind of <laughs> yeah. I've done that. Do you know what? Yeah, I'm going to tell you because you're, you're, you're not going to listen to my story. <laughs> and and because you are who you are and you've already got my back up, mm. I'm going to tell you, and you're going to have to stand there and listen. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, I have done that as well, which is kind of, mm. you know, a bit naughty. But hey, <laughs> if, it teach, if it teaches someone something useful, then it's worth it, right? Well, actually, it's funny you should use that as an expression because, Janet, again, I remember learning something from you in the, all of this because I remember coming to my mum's house for my 30th mm. and we'd all come from all over the place and you were pregnant with Cohen mm. and my mom said to you, is this your first? And I remember the collective <gasps> yeah. of us all thinking, well, I, I can't speak for anyone else, obviously, but mm -hmm. I remember, and, 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 and you saying, no, this is our second, 
our first baby died. And I remember thinking how incredibly strong you were uh, to say that to a woman who, you know, because we were all still youngish and, you know, it was my mom. And I remember feeling um, very uh, just proud, I guess, is the wrong word, but I, I hope you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's interesting Lynn, when, you, when you said, you know, you, you have to take a, you do have to take a decision. And even now I, I have to take a decision. Um, mm. like I think you take that decision for the rest of your life about whether you're going to say yes you do or no you don't and in my case it's the question of how many children do you have and if I mm. say four and the kids are around the, like the rest of them they are they are instantly on me we do not mm. you, we oh, have five you, which is lovely actually we have five Joshua do you remember do you remember mum and, but, and I love the fact that they're so, um, like, they advocate so much. Defensive of him. Yeah, they really are. That's really lovely. But it is, but it is. I think that is one of the things that has never stopped being a choice, mm. no matter how long, you know, this. And I think that will be a choice if I'm alive until I'm 100. I think it's a choice you keep going through yeah. each time. Um, and sometimes, and actually, do you know, it's... Every time when I do choose to to tell, and you're right, Lynn. Sometimes it's not for everybody to hear because, in in a way, it's not that you're denying yourself; it's that you're keeping um, a part of yourself precious. Exactly. Yeah. That bit yeah. is is that's mine, yeah. and you know, sometimes I just don't think other people deserve to know. Yeah. Like I kind of got around, like I kind of got there. But you're right; there are definitely times when I when I've gone, all right, some baby death story coming. Right <laughs> <at you."> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that is not from a kind place. Obviously, we're talking about being kind, but and yeah. has more to do with my issues. Um, and I totally take responsibility for that but it is you know it, it is what it is but I think it's so important though I mean that's why doing you know doing this and, and Katie frankly you being brave enough to, to have yeah. this conversation as well is brilliant because mm-hmm. this is what we need to do you know other women mm-hmm. we're so good at supporting our, each other in so many ways but for some reason this is a subject that nobody ever wants to go to mm-hmm. and you know, the more we can talk about it and the more that we can show that, you know what, we're still okay. Like it's not, we're not, if you mentioned Pip or Joshua, we're not going to break down in tears. Well, maybe sometimes, but you know, most of the time we're not going to, we're going to be okay. And, and, you know, let's have a real conversation about it. Cause when you're pregnant as well, nobody ever talks about it. I had no idea that, you know, like you say, the first trimester is supposed to be the scary one, you know, but actually that's just not true. And we all have this kind of like myth in our head while we're going through the whole scenario of NCT and whatever, or in your case, Janet, mm-hmm. utter terror for the, for every pregnancy you must have had uh, after mm-hmm. Joshua that, you know, that this happens and it happens all the time. It's not mm-hmm. an, in, an insignificant number of people that this happens to in one form or another. Um, mm-hmm. So the more we can talk about it, the better. Exactly. And I think actually the... What I found really helpful, a very good friend of mine um, who is who's Swiss actually, and he, I his approach was one of curiosity. So he's never mm. experienced anything like this, mm. and and actually he was just really gently curious with me because I think the biggest thing that people fear is that they're going to say. Because I remember Kitty, you said that quite a few times to me that you're worried that you're going to say something wrong mm. or you're going to say something that will be 
sort of offensive and it feels like a minefield and I think it probably does feel like a minefield if you're outside it but actually it's uh, approaching approaching your the person you know this has happened to with curiosity and genuine love actually mm. well that, that's all you need it doesn't matter yeah. if you say Definitely. stuff that's wrong because if you're pro- if you're approaching it with with curiosity then you, you can have a conversation about why that isn't helpful or so when I was pregnant with with my subsequent children it was people would always say things like oh it'll be fine this time oh it's going to be grand this time and I'd be like how the heck do you stop saying that Mm. it used to drive me crazy that was the one thing that throughout my subsequent pregnancies I could not hear and I actually don't think I ever let anybody get away with saying it because (laughs) those throwaway comments those are the really annoying ones any any of those kind of platitudes or Mm. just throwaway things that people say and we all do it I mean Mm. I've I've caught myself doing it um as well Mm. probably pre-pip I would say but um you know, all of those kind of old, I don't know, just things that you just say because they just are common parlance as opposed to you actually meaning them. I mean, the, the, the people that really dealt with me the best were just people who, you know, my friends who approached me in exactly the same way that they would have approached me had Pip been alive. Like they just, there was no difference in their conversation. You know, they asked me about my birth story. They asked me about what had happened and they, and like you say, just approached it with kindness and, and with love and, and that's that's all you can do, really. Mm-hmm. Empathy yeah. goes a long way. It certainly does. And I'm 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 sad to say that that you are two of about six people I know that this has happened to, and that's too many. And it's yeah. too. And I spoke to one of them just a little while ago, and she was saying it's so different for everybody. It's so different. Some people deal with it in such different ways. But as you say, it's it totally just about talking, talking. And I love, Janet, yeah. that you said that, you know, I'm a talker when things happen to me. I, I, I need to talk mm. things out. And it, it had never occurred to me until, Janet, that Joshua died or long after that, you know, that you would have to, you would still have to give birth. And I was mm. always such a big, I'm, I love a birth story, but it would never have occurred mm. to me to ask a woman who had lost her baby about her birth story. Mm. Mm, that's yeah it's really good because in one sense you think it's going to be I think I don't know you think it's going to be somehow worse but it isn't Mm. it's it's, you still have to go through a birth and that's what my um my Swiss friend did he just he just kept going so what happened next and Mm. what happened next Uh, and then what mm. happened and what did that person say and what did they do Mm. and how did they help or not help and then what happened and that and that's all he did so he just helped me go through the story and and yeah you're you're right it's a really it's a really good point Katie because because I think there will be some people who won't want to talk about mm. that and then you go yeah that's fine do you want it and it's that approach of curiosity yeah. and genuine interest right and and love that you ask you know do you would you like to talk about this and is this okay and you know I'd love to hear because I think also people think you don't want to hear yeah. because it doesn't end well yeah <laughs> you know but but the ending but the ending, although it doesn't end well, that's your story. Yeah. And so it's, it, it's, 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 that's what you've got. And you said earlier, Janet, that if someone had said to you when you were right in the thick of it, it'll be okay, you will come out of this all right, mm-hmm. and you would have gone completely ballistic. What? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
you know, so there's like, there's this kind of mad, so, so it's just a case of listening and empathizing. Mm-hmm. And as you say, treating with empathy and, uh, or kindness and curiosity. I tend to cook for people in this situation. I just go, I just go here, have lasagna, have chocolate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just, and, and, and that's, and I'm trying, I'm not being flippant. That is actually genuinely what I do because I think so many times in so many situations, a little bit of practical help mm-hmm. is, yeah, <laughs> can go down so well. Yeah, definitely. One of the best things, the best things that happened was some um, people that you know and love, Katie, as well. Vicky, Boggle, mm-hmm. Kay, and Kat, and, and the, those guys all got together and pulled their resources. And Vicky and um, her husband, Pug, went to Waitrose for us and basically delivered a mm. care package mm-hmm. to our doorstep. And it included, you know, all manner of nice things as well as practical things, but uh, like little luxury things as well. And that was just so so sweet because we were inundated with flowers we had flowers coming Mm. out of our ears which was gorgeous and really you know very kindly meant but actually there was no way we Mm. could go to the shops you know so so people bringing us a bag of groceries or a care package or something was Mm. was massive and and that was so thoughtful and so Mm. kind um and that's yeah that's really stayed with me I was thinking actually I was thinking Kitty that the if I think I only took that line of you will come through this from people who'd been through it right okay that's important yeah if it was somebody who I knew who'd gone through baby death in whatever form then I could accept that they could say that I think if it was somebody who it was just a flippant kind of oh we got pregnant again it will be fine Uh, you know yeah that's totally different yeah absolutely well this is why I thought when Lynn offered to speak about this I thought it would be great to have a second voice mm-hmm. because I think that's important to have people that have experienced again not the same but mm-hmm. similar experiences yeah. talking about these things Absolutely. Yeah. because it's all very well just me firing questions or you know as you say being curious mm-hmm. but I think it's important to hear that despite the fact they're very just different circumstances mm-hmm. that you are both living your lives and as you say you know putting making your lives around this huge huge fact mm. yeah it's true mm. but like Janet said you don't actually have a choice I mean I, I, I get that yeah. I don't know if you do Janet from other people which is very it's, and it's very kindly meant like I just, and people say it all the time well I just don't mm. know how you oh yeah you must be so brave how you deal with it how you've coped and the truth is you just have to Exactly. Like, what's the what's mm-hmm. the alternative? There isn't one. You mm-hmm. just have to get on with it, and um, you know that doesn't mean to say that there aren't days, often with me particularly, you know, mm-hmm. less often these days. But um, you know, there have been times just being in a supermarket is hard, or you know, because you're surrounded by mm-hmm. people with prams or whatever it is. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't ever go away. But I think you just you just learn to to accept it I guess acceptance is a big thing I remember when I was in counseling when I used to say to my counselor constantly you know tell me when Mm -hmm. tell me when I'm gonna feel this tell me when I'm gonna reach this and and she was like it's not like that you just have to be with it and she said that to me I think a million times and I was like 
colleague to explode. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? Just be with it. But actually, that is so true. You just have to go yeah. with it, and there ain't no getting away from it. So you may as well just uh, give in. And on those days where you need to go and have a good cry, that's what you do. Um, and you eat chocolate and you know hide from the world. And on other days, you yeah. you're okay. Yeah. You know, that's just how it is. With everything, not just baby loss. I think that's, you know, so many things in life. Well, I heard a lovely thing the other day or read it somewhere talking about surrender. And we think of the word as surrender, meaning, you know, giving up. But it's actually yeah. just, as you say, just being, just yeah. letting it be, you know. And if you need to cry, cry. If you want to hop, skip and jump and, you know, have mm. a lovely day, then yeah. do Exactly. It's, it's to accept. Feel how you yeah. want to feel, how you have to feel. Completely, because it actually makes such a huge difference. I think that was a massive thing that I learned was that, or have, have learned, is that your body and your mind are not separate things. You know, you can't, you can't go through something like this and, and not realize what a toll it takes on you physically because of the mm. emotional element of it. And I think mm. we're really rubbish. It, you know in modern times most of us were too busy to think about it but you know so much of how we feel is down to do what we do with our bodies or what we put into our bodies and vice versa like it's you know it's mm. a one living organism um that picks mm. us up and actually you've got to take care of the whole lot and not just uh, either your mind or your or your body in um yeah. kind of isolation from the other thing because I think that's the good that's that is a positive thing about having like your life devastated and that I didn't even know the meaning of the word before we lost Pip but mm. that level of devastation takes you to places where you go oh yeah, you're right. okay <laughs> you know those things are true that you kind of go yeah yeah whatever you know it is true you do have to feel yeah. how you feel and just learning to sit in it I like that definition of surrender you learn to sit with you learn to sit in it actually um, and just and be at peace mm. with the fact that this is this is yeah wallowing it like a bar. <laughs> that is, you're having a crappy day, and tomorrow may be better. It may not be, but it, you know. Uh, but if you don't sit in today's one, it definitely won't definitely. be. Um, one thing that I always that, that I always thought that people maybe struggled to understand was how can you mourn for a baby that you didn't know? Mm. And um, and you know this other baby lived for much longer or this child you know somebody whose baby or whose child dies when they're six surely they have a bigger grief than you do and and I first of all I was kind of going you can't compare grief a that was pointless and and it's a nonsense anyway um because that would mean that you love somebody who's 90 more than you do somebody who's 60 and that's just a pure nonsense Mm -hmm. um and but I think it's the it's that you lose the future yeah. of a child that you thought yeah. you were going to have. Yeah. Um, and and that's really, it's a really interesting concept. And actually, one of my aunties died when she was 47 and she was an artist. And I remember her husband saying to me um, at her funeral, you know, he said, I'm just really sad about all the art that she's not going to make mm. and she's not going to create. And I thought, gosh, that's the same thing. That's a, the same way of looking at it. You're mourning a life that that that, that isn't going to be, um, and 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 that's what you're losing. Absolutely. Even though you feel a deep deep connection to your baby because you've carried mm. them, um, you know. So, you know that is beautiful. I read I read an article or something about that not so long ago, actually, 
And as you say, it was the hopes and dreams and and especially as a mm-hmm. as a woman carrying a baby, I mean, you, you're already a mum mm-hmm. by the time mm-hmm. y- y- you know you feel the first kicks. You do all the all the you know the, your body changes and everything. You're already a mum. Mm-hmm. Do you know one of the things that I remember thinking as well, really clearly or really strongly, was that and this is back to that story about being a hairdresser mm-hmm. was I wanted. I wanted people to know that I was grieving without me having to tell them, right? And and I thought back to that idea of, you know, the black band that Victoria mm, just wore, yeah. and they would put it around their arm to show that they were in grief. And I thought, gosh, I would love yeah. that, you know. This. And and, it, and for me, it's not just for, it's not just for, for, for baby death. And I guess you have those sort of, um, you know, they're kind of, well, sounds like a yellow one. I don't know if petals have a different colour. But you know, it's it was something for me that was that was globally recognised as a I am a grieving person that you could Definitely. wear. Um and I and I really mourned the passing of that tradition in our culture yeah. actually because there wasn't any space for it. It's true. I think it's absolutely true and, and actually it would be helpful for, for everybody who is grieving to, mm-hmm. to have that you know societally to be recognized because people do crazy things when they're when they're grieving they you know they're, yeah. they're not in the, in the same frame of mind that they would normally be they behave totally differently they might be hugely forgetful you know there's mm-hmm. there's a million things that can happen and actually mm-hmm. we do need to be kinder about that stuff because at the moment mm-hmm. you know like you say people just expect you to get over it like mm-hmm. with it i think with any death it's like oh well mm-hmm. you know the funeral's done so okay we all go back to our normal lives now um yeah. That's yeah. just not how it works. <laughs> no. Um, no, and I just, I always think of somebody, you know, there's, if you, and um, you're right for any death, I lost my dad about four years ago, and um, I kind of feel, you know, even then, you know, then as well, if you were having a bad day, having something to signify that you were grieving, mm-hmm. and then, and then, because your outward behavior is probably looks quite odd, like you're taking a long time to go through, I don't know, to get on a train or to, um, I don't know, like you're walking along the street quite slowly or you're just, I don't know, you, I, I don't, I'm trying to decide yeah. what, you know, the behaviour would mm. be, but it's just that somebody can then go, they have a black band on their arm, therefore they are grieving for somebody, let's just be extra kind yeah. and give them some space. Totally. And it's that actually that is, that I would, I think I would love it. <laughs> I wonder if we could have different colours for different days. <laughs> yeah. I'm, just, I'm just really, exactly. really angry today. Yeah. <laughs> Don't go. Stand clear. Okay, or, yeah. Today, I need you to just pass me the tissues. Exactly. Or <laughs> yeah. today, I am the person who's for yeah. and I can help you. If yeah. you ask me anything, I'm totally going to do something for you. Absolutely. Oh, girls. I think you hit upon something there, Janet. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, really, from the bottom of my heart for taking the time to speak about this. Um, I think you're both incredible anyway. I thought that anyway. Um, but this is really something so mm. important. And I love the fact that during this conversation, there have been moments of laughter and lightness and positivity as well as you know very serious and uh hard things thank you Katie. yeah thank you it's lovely to have the opportunity it's a pleasure is there anything either of you would like to add um no just thank you for being brave enough to have the conversation i think it's really important um 
because it doesn't happen enough. Yeah, completely. And I'd really like to say to anybody who chooses to listen, thank you for choosing to listen because particularly if it hasn't happened to you, um, I think that makes you a really great person for wanting to learn about it. And um, you should mm-hmm. tell everyone you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, well, thank you both very much. And sending you both lots of love to Kenny and to Tom as well. And um, I hope to speak to you both very soon. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining me. I'll be back next week with another incredible episode of Chatting to a Friend. In the meantime, please give us a follow on Instagram, Chatting to a Friend, for all the latest news. Bye-bye.